exploring faith journeys and inspiring ministries that embody the good news of God. This is The Cumberland Road. I am your host, TJ Melanoski. The following conversation is with Reverend Rusty Rustenhaven. Rusty has served as a youth director, a director of Christian education, an associate minister, and a senior minister. His faith journey includes what it is like growing up as a preacher's kid, his calling into ministry, and the importance of Christian education. Rusty talks about how his faith has included a maturing and mellowing with age and experience, and how semi-retirement is allowing him to experience an openness to new paths. Enjoy this conversation on the Cumberland Road with guest Rusty Rustenhaven. Rusty Rustenhaven, thank you for joining me on the Cumberland Road podcast. If it's all right, I thought we could start with just a brief introduction, talk about who you are, where you're serving, uh, your ministry, and then we can get into some deeper, deeper questions. Really, William Reston Haven III, but I've always been Rusty from the very beginning. Um, my parents tell the story that uh, when I was at the Oak Grove Cumberland Presbyterian Church, where my father was pastor, in near Austin, he uh, they had the baby. I was the first in my family, and the, the church people came to the hospital, and they go, "There's another little Rusty." And really, except on the first day of school, and to Uncle Sam, I've been Rusty to everybody. So uh, that's kind of where that begins. Um, I did come from a minister's family. Uh, my father, Cumberland Presbyterian. The entire time he was a Christian, he became a Christian under uh, Brother James Gilbert. And um, when he was 17 years old, he did not get converted or go to church really until he was 17. Uh, went into the military and really enjoyed that, uh, but in, figured out that the world needed Christ. And um, so he started the road, road to the ministry. And because of that, I followed him, obviously, wherever he went. When I was younger, we went from Oak Grove to Iowa, the Shiner Church in Iowa. Then we went down to the Walnut Grove Church in uh, Tennessee. Well, my dad finished his seminary and then we went to Fort Worth and we came to Marshall, Texas, where I went to high school and all my brothers did. And then we went to, uh, then I went to Bethel College, then college, now university. And then I went to Memphis Theological Seminary in between there. Uh, one summer, I worked at the Savannah uh, Church as a youth director. Went, when I was in seminary, I was at the Grimes Memorial United Methodist Church because the Cumberlands weren't hiring Christian education people. And when I was in college, Dr. Ramsey had, had made a big impact on me. And so because of that, I really liked Christian education, the thought of it. And and I'd been influenced by that with really good youth leaders in my home church. So I wanted to do some of that kind of work and the Methodist churches were hiring that there must have been 20 job openings and Dr. Buck put me in touch with this church. I went to work for it and got to know 
the best part about that, I got to know some of the how to deal with a little bit bigger church, uh, a church that was, you know, would run 200 in Sunday school kind of thing. And so that was that was an important time in my life and one that I really, really enjoyed working with college age, youth, Christian education, Sunday school, children, Bible school, everything. Did that for three years. Um, then I got the call to the Clarksville Church in Clarksville, Tennessee, and was the associate pastor there for 15 years. Uh, not a lot of people get to do that. Not a lot of people want to do that, but I loved it. Uh, I love being an associate pastor. It did allow me to do presbyterial things uh, a little more. Uh, and I really enjoyed, as you know, working with the Presbyterian youth and uh, the retreats and the camps and uh, mission trips and ski trips, all the things we did. I enjoyed all of that. Um, then I moved to, got the call to the Marshall Church. And uh, all along the way, I had some great ministers, including the pastor that was there in Marshall, it was Cordell Smith. Uh, the before him in Tennessee at the Clarksville Church, I had John Stiles and E.G. Sims, who were my mentors and my senior pastors, and uh, Hillman Moore when I was at Savannah, um, and Bev Farnsworth when I was in Memphis. Uh, you know, when we'd start to counter blessings, I was under some good leaders and got a training there. But I was, for two years here in Marshall, I was the associate pastor here for children and youth, and they wanted to really bump up their children and youth programs. And it's fine with me, uh, but the Cordell started getting sick, and uh, I started doing both jobs uh, for a while while he was trying to get better. He didn't, he wasn't able to, and he had to retire, and uh, so I became the senior pastor. It seemed that what the church wanted and what seemed like the next thing for me, but I'll be honest, if Cordell had stayed healthy, I think I could have been associate pastor for 10 more years. Uh, you know, I really do. I, I, a rarity, I think, in not only in our denomination, but in any. So many people have seen associate pastors as the, as the um, stepping stone. But for me, it was a real calling and something I really enjoyed. Well, let's go back for a minute. And let's talk about you were raised as a preacher's kid. Yep, P PK. And, and um, I have two children. One One's an adult and one is in kindergarten. So I don't know what it's like to be a preacher's kid. So what is what is it like for my two children? But more specifically, what is it like for Rusty? Uh, well, for me, I... I saw it occasionally as a detriment, but most of the time I saw it as a plus. It was kind of like, of course, church was our life. Uh, we were there at almost everything there was. And, uh, but I saw the church as a bonus. It was a bunch of grandparents and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters. I mean, you know, you talk about the family, but I, when you're the only kid in the church, which happened several times growing up, uh, you get doted on. It's, <laughs> it's not a bad gig. It's, it, to me, it wasn't. Uh, uh, 
The other is, and I've, I've said this about kids in church, no matter who, whether they're the pastor's kids or not, if you come all the time, those, those people in the church start treating you like family. And when you graduate, they want to give you a gift. And when you, um, when you come home, they want to welcome you. Now, if you're the sporadic attender, I always feel sorry for those people. They think they're free, but they really lost something and all that because they're not perceived the same way because the people don't know them. But when they know you, and that's the pastor's kid, you're going to get to be known, good or bad, uh, you're going to get to be known. And uh, it, it was a good thing for me. Um, I, I will say this. I noticed my father coming home from session meetings. Uh, sometimes out of sorts uh, because he'd been through a tough one or they were dealing with the budget or whatever. I don't know. And um, I saw that. I saw also the fact that he wasn't getting wealthy working this, uh, working this job, but I knew he was dedicated and that was, that was a good thing. My brothers and I always have seen the church as a good thing. Um, uh, home was a good thing. Marshall became kind of home for us. And my parents bought the manse and retired here. So, it, you know, it's, it was kind of a, an odd thing to, to have a home base when you moved around so much. But, but even if you don't move, which I didn't move my children but once. Uh, we, we moved from Clarksville to Marshall, and that's rare, too. I've mm-hmm. got 38 years of ministry, and I've been in two churches. So uh, that that doesn't happen much. And I know that, but part of it was, I was willing to be content. As far as my kids go, I think there were some pressures to attend things that perhaps they wouldn't have done on their own uh, willingly. But I think they also felt the, the love of the church and the love of the people there. And there was because I was working with children and youth, there was always going to be some program for them. There was going to be something to um, entertain and as well as teach. And uh, I think they got that uh, chance to worship, sing in the choir, participate in all that we did and the mission trips. And I made sure that there were mission trips and ski trips and, and uh, uh, camp opportunities. And, and they, they seemed to like them all. Uh, at least they, Tell me they did. And so, uh, you know, I made sure that we had that for them. But as far as to tell your kids, uh, be yourself, um, treat them, treat them well. I think that that's uh, uh, love them and let them know that uh, they're the first place of ministry. And then the rest of the church is the second place of ministry, but a very close 1A, 1B. This next question is kind of attached to that, and so it it's for preachers' kids, but I, I just think for children and young adults in general, what words do you have about separating yourself from your parents or your guardians and developing your own faith, your own religion, your own relationship with God? Because it's really easy to kind of lean into your parents' faith and their relationship. And I, and I would say perhaps even more of a temptation if your parents, one or both, are in some sort of ministry. And you've been yeah. able to walk that. So what, uh, 
What is that like? Well, I, I guess there were times where church was so a part of my life that I didn't think about God perhaps as deeply as I should at times. Mm-hmm. And then other times I thought, because I guess because by sheer environment, I was surrounded by godly talk and godly discussions uh, that it caused me to think more deeply. I guess, I guess it was both. I either took it for granted or I, I really pondered it. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I resisted the ministry and the call to the ministry because my father was a minister. I didn't want to do it just because he did it. You know, I didn't want to be coattails. And, and um, uh, I, I think I'm answering your question. For me, it was, it caused me to think more deeply about things um, uh, often. But at the same time, uh, you can you can just hover around and, and not really have a deep, uh, meaningful experience with God. It's it could happen. Mm-hmm. Just and you know I've seen all these uh, statistics about people that were in really active youth groups until they're 18 and then they get out and then they've got a, nobody's trying to entertain them every minute. And, and all of a sudden they've got to decide whether they're going to be a mature person in the faith or not. It's, it's not a simple thing. And I think, I think uh, young adults today struggle with that, uh, especially those that have had um, real contact with the church. I, I think it is important to talk, to any child, including your own, about matters of faith, but it's it's an awkward talk sometimes until you get in the habit of doing that talk. Um, not sure I perfected it as a father, but I will say uh, I I I've been on both ends of it, just like you said, and I and I, I think there are some real advantages to um, to developing your own faith, but you got to get there. I mean, you, you got to get to the point where you can't inherit that. It's got to be your own. Yeah. 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 Well said. That's what I was trying to, to articulate, being able to, you know, inherit and, and, but develop your own individual relationship with Christ. But the reason why we want to have conversions before the age of 18 is because most people make that decision before 18. And so to me, that's where we spend a lot of our appropriate effort. Uh, It doesn't mean that people after 18 are written off, but it just means it's a lot easier. So by surrounding them and engulfing them with that, uh, with the life of church, uh, I'll never forget um, Mr. Davis, uh, Harold Davis used to say at Christian Education, board meetings, he used to say that the purpose of Christian education is to help, and he said this sounds bad, but he said it's to help people have a positive experience with the church. And because he said the number of times you remember what Miss Sally taught you in second grade with the Bible story is rare. Now, you know, you know the Bible story, but you don't know who taught it to you. And uh, because of that, but if Miss Sally was terrible to you, you never wanted to go to church again. You remembered that. And so, uh, you know, those are the I, I've kind of come around to that a little bit. I, I always thought that that was not 
I thought that was giving up some real opportunities, but I guess there's more wisdom to it than I, than I thought at the time. So. There's definitely an influence of how you're received and welcomed uh, into, you know, a family of faith and to, to have a space. And I was loved into it everywhere I went. I mean, and because of that, I, I think I was more dedicated to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, more dedicated to the church, more dedicated to the Cumberland Church, but more importantly, more dedicated to Christ and His Church, uh, and uh, that was very important to me growing up. But I was surrounded by love, uh, love of the church. You mentioned earlier, Rusty, uh, for youth or young adult about having a meaningful experience. Um, Rusty, what's a meaningful experience of God for you? You know, I, I've had several through the years, and uh, in fact, that was that was a question that through the years I've been asked, and I, I, I really believe my whole life <laughs> I've either knowingly or unknowingly, and and I know that sounds wrong, but I think there's some unknowing experiences with God that happened only in later life do you reflect back on it and go, that was a God thing. Mm -hmm. But um, as I see it, you know, I guess one of the things that for me growing up in the church and perhaps some of the other answers to your question, I, I, I I was the good kid to everybody else. Rusty, Rusty internally knew that Rusty was sinful. I guess I'd been to church enough to know I was sinful. And, and I was I was not always pure in thought and not always uh, everything uh, perfect. And I tried to be the good kid. I was the oldest child, you know, the, kind of that person. But And went along with my parents to church and everything. But... I knew I was sinful. So, but so I went to pastor's class, what we called it then, confirmation class to other people. But, and my father, he didn't, he didn't play with pastor's class. I mean, you had to be able to spell all the books of the Bible and you had to be able to, you had to know them and, and, you know, you had to know what part of the, you know, whether they were the law or the history, you know, we had to know that stuff. Now, or at least I did. (laughs) And, and in doing all that, I guess I just had so many experiences that came along, but I joined the church or made my profession and joined the church. And yet I felt like something was missing. I didn't feel like I had made it there. And I guess perhaps it's a Holy Spirit thing, a conviction kind of thing, but I felt guilty for probably five or six years. Now, I wasn't into the progressive uh, revelation uh, theory of of conversion yet. I was more into the uh, you know the radical conversion theory, and so I wasn't sure I'd had that, and I was feeling guilty because I had told the world I was, and so I really dealt with some guilt. And finally, I do remember this. I, I was fourteen. I was in my bed at night. I couldn't tell you the day, but I can tell you it was in my bed. I was 14 years old and I had just, I had agonized, I had prayed and, no, and nobody knew I was struggling with this. I mean, I was doing this on my own, so I've matured that much, but I was praying and 
I finally got a sense of peace. I got a sense that I was God's child. Uh, it's not that I didn't feel that way before, and perhaps that was the way I understood it at eight, and, and I understood it again in a different way at 14. Uh, but that was a real experience with God that was a wonderful one because from then on, I felt like, you know, I hadn't perfected anything, but I felt like I was right with God. And that was important to me. I guess I had had enough in the big picture of things in church that I knew something wasn't right or it didn't feel right. And, and that's why I go back to what I said in the beginning. So many people relate experiences with God with feelings. And, and I, certainly I'm, I'm right in there. I, I, it's more obvious when you have an experience with God that is, that is emotional, or, you know, you tear up or you cry or whatever, and you hug people and, 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 or a song touches you or a prayer or sermon just really gets you. But it's, everything isn't emotional in the faith. And, and, and yet that is, seems to be the criteria for most people. It's whether it was an emotional experience or not. And um, I think we encourage that sometimes in church, camp, retreats and stuff. Uh, but at the same time, all those things, the, the vacation Bible schools, the church camps, the, the things that I experienced at CPYC, those things were very important for me in, in there. But I guess the the other experience, and I'll relate this to my calling. Um, when I went off to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to be a minister. That was the one thing. I didn't want to be poor, so I wanted to get some money, and I wanted to be a business person or something. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't. I knew what I didn't want. To do. <laughs> and at the time, Bethel allowed you to declare un, undecided. So I didn't have to have a major for two years, but at the end of my sophomore year, I was going to have to declare. As as January came around that year, and I was moving toward the end of that year, I was starting to feel some pressure as to what I was going to choose for my major, and um, and also what I was going to do with my life. Uh, all that was going on. But everybody seemed to know what they wanted to do except me. Uh, I'm sure that was not true because there were a lot of people changing majors. But uh, that at the time, it just seemed like they talked that way. And I didn't talk very confidently because I didn't know. But we went on. I was in the Balladeers, which was the choir at the time in, in Bethel. And we went on a spring tour and went around to the different churches. And we had a roommate. Uh, David Dean was my roommate. <laughs> Interestingly, he couldn't get away from me because uh, my father was his pastor in Iowa. He, he went to Bethel. I went to Bethel from Marshall. So we didn't know each other for years, but we resumed that relationship and of good friends. And he, even more amazingly, ended up in Marshall before I did. And when I came back here, he was here again. He couldn't get, I was like a bad penny. <laughs> so anyway, he, he was uh, my roommate and we would go and go to the church, have a meal, then sing, and then go back to our host homes. We were hosted in different homes. And, uh, you know, you, had, you couldn't just go to bed. 
even if you wanted to, you needed to spend a little time and visit with the people that were hosting. So we would spend about an hour talking and they would ask the eventual questions, which no person in college really wants to hear. And that is, what are you going to do? What's your job? What's your major? You know, they ask your major, that's fine. But uh, what you're going to do with your life, you know? And it was interesting. There were two of us there, both going to the same college. And yet they asked me night after night, are you going to be a minister? Now, some people had heard my father's name, but most of them didn't know my father from Adam. So that wasn't, it wasn't that kind of thing. But here was my roommate sitting there with me, and they weren't asking him that question. Hmm. Four or five, six nights in a row, I get asked that question, and I began thinking, maybe I need to re-examine this, because why is this happening? And... Um, so I went home and I can't remember the exact timetable with it, but there was a weekend revival at my home church. I guess we were traveling over spring break and there were a few days at the end and I decided to go home. Uh, even though it was 500 miles away, I went home. It was exactly 500 miles away from my driveway to Bethel. And um, so I went home and, and had that, time and um, during that revival there was an invitation every night and um, it just I don't know what happened but God I felt called me and uh, I went forward and my father said he had been praying for that but also didn't want to say anything about it for years uh, that other people in the church had been praying for that but um I only discovered that later. They did not tell me in advance, and um, so it was it was a it was a wonderful experience. And I and I have to say, the rest of my life has been a confirmation of that. Hmm. So experiences with God, I feel like those two jump out at me today. But you know, I, I think <laughs> I would certainly be limiting God if. Uh, that was the only one that anybody ever said that I had, uh, you know, or even I said that I had, because I believe God works in very silent ways sometimes through people. And, and I will say through the churches and through the senior pastors and through the um, uh, different people in the presbytery and my professors. I mean, there's so many people that influence my life. Uh, and made it possible for me to come to that point. And I believe God was working through them. And I, uh, to me, that's an experience with godly people, perhaps, maybe not a God experience. Well, Rusty, is there any other folks that you would like to mention that have deepened your relationship? You know, and, I, and every guest says, what a dangerous question, because you inevitably... Yeah, you're going to leave somebody out. Well, yeah. I've tried to throw in a bunch of names already. Yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, my youth leaders, in addition to my parents, my, my mom and my dad uh, were super influential. And I will never be able to uh, thank them enough for that. But as far as other people, in addition to my mother and father, um, the my youth leaders growing up, 
in Marshall. Uh, put up with a immature young man <laughs> that read Guinness Book of World Record things out in the car and drove everybody crazy. Um, took us places. They were volunteers. They didn't get paid. They had us over to their house. They, they, you know, as far as youth work, they probably didn't know exactly what to do except to love us and provide opportunities for us. Uh, they didn't teach us many Bible lessons, but they were just wonderful. And their receptivity, their encouragement, their prayers, their um, just great. And that was an odd thing, too, because and I say odd. To me, it's odd. It's a unique anyway. The Their son, John Lindsay, became a pastor uh, in the Cumberland Church. He waited several years, worked couple of jobs and then went off to college like six years later. Well, because of that, I was able to catch the tail end of his college time. He went to Bethel. Hmm. He also had experienced the call. And so he went to Bethel. So when I went there, I knew somebody. Well, that's when I rediscovered David Dean and some other people. But then we had other people from our church in Marshall. So at one time, um, there were five people from our church at Bethel and 500 miles away. And you have to do a lot of talking to parents these days to get anybody to go that far away unless they're going to Stanford or Harvard. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really was a wonderful thing that I felt again. People knew my father, they, the professors knew him, the people in town knew him, the people at the McKenzie church knew him, but I knew people, in the dorm that I could hang out with and go ask questions. And I didn't have to, and they told me, you know, they were great as to, they were better advisors than my advisor because <laughs> they said, do not take this your freshman year. You, you'll have to take it, but don't take it your freshman year. Take this one, take this professor, take this class. And, and it was wonderful. And then we would, you know, Bethel was at that time, it was, I didn't realize it when I went, it was almost about to close. And there were 333 students, I remember that, my freshman year. And 300 of them went home on the weekends. So it was 33 of us stuck on campus every weekend. And that was but all the people from Marshall <laughs> and all the people from Iowa and all the people from way far away were staying. The athletes would stay sometimes. And, you know, it was it was wonderful to me because I didn't have any chores to do. I just had to study. and hang out and play cards and, and uh, you know, uh, it was for a town with nothing to do. It was a, it was one of the best times of my life. It was just fun and uh, good friends. And now bizarro of bizarro, the guy, David Dean from Iowa ends up living in Marshall. His wife was from Tresvent, who also went to Bethel. She ended up in Marshall. Uh, my uh, roommate was from here. He came back to Marshall. His wife came back to Marshall. Uh, John Lindsay uh, lives in Fort Worth and in Marshall. Um, I think I have six or seven people that I went to college with in Marshall, Texas. And so, you know, it's, 
this is not a Bethel story per se, but it it it, it has been um, because I was in Clarksville for 15 years. I never knew if I'd be back in Marshall. Mm. So all of that uh, has been a um, a wonderful experience. Um, what was I answering again? People who have helped deepen your yeah. faith. And it, and then I got to say, finally, and, and I would be super remiss, my wife, uh, she absolutely has been supportive. I, she got good training. Her, her father was a high school principal. There's a lot of similarities of how you have to behave as a high school principal's child and a uh, and a minister's wife. Um, she was, um, uh, she has just been super supportive, has taught Sunday school for most of our marriage and most of my ministry. Uh, she's helped in Bible school. She's done Christmas programs. She's done a little bit of everything. And she really was a, she's a more of a high school teacher. So uh, it was so to work with the children. At ch- she worked at the children at church, and she worked with the teenagers in in school, and um, just super supportive of my ministry. And um, and that isn't always easy to do, uh, as I can imagine. Uh, you know, I've tried to be supportive of her work, but it's not nearly as many occasions <laughs> to go to. And so um, uh, she's. Uh, She's been uh, wonderful as a helpmeet. We we use that word uh, jokingly and sincerely. Uh, she's been wonderful at that. Rusty, where do you see God working in your life today? That's a that's an interesting one because I'm semi-retired, and I say that I don't think you can be fully retired ever once you have the call. Uh, I, my father taught me that by observation. He didn't, I don't guess he ever told me that, but you know, I've got a lot of people's funerals to do, uh, from what they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm still alive, I'll, I will do them. Um, I, I continue to, uh, help the church here in Marshall in transition as we look for a new pastor. And, um, I, hope to um, help and not hinder the church with uh, being around. Marshall's probably going to be our home base. uh, From all my thinking right now, God may have another plan, but uh, right now we plan to be here and use this as home base, whether I do anything in the church or not. Uh, There are some opportunities. I don't preach every Sunday here and I preach a couple of Sundays a month, so there are opportunities to uh, supply as churches seek more and more people to help them fill the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's some possibilities in Presbytery to do a little more, perhaps now that I'm a little more free, and I feel like that's important. Uh, spend a little more time with my family and that kind of thing. So, how is God? There, I think God's continuing to uh, lead me into new to pa- new paths um, as far as uh, what's next. And I'm, I'm really open to that. Um, about the only thing I'm not open to is a, is a long-term stated supply. 
I don't mind helping churches out. I really think by being in this presbytery for 23 years, I've learned all the churches and all the key elders in each church and that kind of thing. And, and so I feel like there's a way to help in presbytery that uh, perhaps doesn't happen if you're only in a presbytery for four or five years. Um, um, you know, whatever happens there, if, if I can be of help to the presbytery, that's great. If I can be of help in, at the Marshall Church, that's great. And, and so I'm looking for God's leading. Uh, I've explored some, uh, I want to spend more time with my family and, and I do some genealogy and I'll do a little travel and uh, that kind of thing. But I think God's in all that. Um, I think God has, uh, you know, I'm going to continue to serve God uh, with just at a slower pace. Uh, you know, the six or seven days a week, which I have done as a pastor, uh, is just, I don't guess it's sustainable one, and it's probably not good for my health another, but uh, beyond that, I think my family um, you know, may have lost out some through the years. And I think God wants me to enjoy that. I've got an, a grandson and uh, I'm enjoying going to visit him. He's about six months old and uh, see my kids and uh, the son and the daughter. And uh, I look forward to spending more time with them. And uh, But um, quitting, doing, you know, God's, God's still working with me. Uh, and I'll tell you where is revelations or things that come to me as toward the end of my ministry and now too. One of the things I've observed is that um, when I was young in the ministry, I was much more judgmental. Um, I call it mellowing, calling it, I call it maturing to understand that life isn't as simple as what, you observe it to be, and that a lot of people are struggling, uh, and that's why they don't go to church the way they should, or that's why, you know, if you're a caregiver and, um, you know, you just can't leave that person, that doesn't mean you're not a good Christian. You know, some of those things that have come along through time have, been, have made me more understanding of where Christians have not been as visible as they should be. Now, in a perfect world, everybody muddles through and struggles through, and uh, no matter what, they're involved in the church and serving God. Uh, I, but because I know my imperfections and I know the ways that I've failed God and others, I know that other people are dealing with that. So I kind of came up with a thing and I'm trying to come up with a really catchy phrase for it, but I haven't gotten there yet. That is, we all need amazing grace. We all need that grace and forgiveness for where we fail each other and, and certainly fail God. But there are high expectations. So my deal is kind of a colon thing, amazing grace, colon, high expectations, because and that, call it sanctification or moving towards sanctification, whatever you want to call it. it. It's kind of the, there is a high expectation for Christians, not just pastors, but for Christians. 
to continue to progress in the faith and continue to seek God's will and continue to uh, become more and more like Christ. And I, we don't hear a lot about that because everybody wants to talk about nobody's perfect. But I think that we need to want to be. And uh, so I guess perhaps in the, in the future, it's going to be, hey, I'm going to love you no matter what. But there's an expectation here. And we need to, for me and for you, and we need to do a good job at that. And so I'm hoping to be super loving and understanding and compassionate. And at the same time, call people to take up their cross and follow Christ and me be the first one that fails and the first one that believes in it all at the same time. Um, that's, that's really important to me. Uh, uh, the maturing in the faith uh, is, is an understanding that humans are never going to be there. They're just never going to make it. And um, so we got to love each other. From the perspective of a seeker or maybe someone who hasn't made a profession of faith, Rusty, what would you say to them if they were to say, look, where is God in this vast universe? Where is God working or present in this cosmos? You talk about God, you're a minister, but where is God in today? Yeah, I, and I... I think that is a huge question for the for the future uh, of the church in general. But uh, I would respond, not being a smart aleck, but I'd res respond that where isn't God? Uh, that um, and the good that we experience in our lives. Uh, to me, all of it comes from God. And so when you experience love of your family or a spouse or a child or a friend, when you experience that kind of deep love, uh, that's a God thing. Uh, that doesn't, that is not in nature. And it's certainly not in human nature per se. I mean, I know that some good atheist people have, loved one another but it's to me uh, i see the the positive influences that were expressed in jesus christ uh, for the world that if we would just follow that we'd be a lot better off uh, and and it kind of the dr phil thing how's that working out for you you know it's 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 it, you know show me why it isn't you know every bit as much as show me why it is because um, I think the good things in life are the are the godly things. I think the the things that we experience where somebody goes and you know I've I've yet to see a truck at the disasters of the country that say the atheists of America are here to help serve me. Uh, I I it's not a put down to atheists. I, I understand people struggling. Uh, I really do. But when you turn around and look at the good, it's normally the Christians that are that are leading the way. And and so why would all those people be fooled? Every one of them, you know, one or two, I get it. Maybe some followers, some stragglers, but 
not everybody. It's it's more. Um, this is what it's meant to me. This is what God has meant to me, and I would want that for them without telling them they're evil and terrible if they don't. Uh, to to continue to reach out to them, and uh, it's you know to come up with absolute fact for faith you can't do it you you but you can tell what that faith is meant to you and yeah. you can tell what the church is meant to you and you can tell what christ is meant to the world um and yet because we're imperfect we don't do it right all the time and we have been bad witnesses so i i desire for us to be better witnesses in the world uh, but at the same time, I still believe there's some super dedicated people that have done tremendous work and we would not have the good in the world that we do without it. I realize the complexity of the question and I struggle with it. I ask it of most, most of the guests because you could look at it in such a way, where's God working in the world today as in prove it, evidence-based question. And I realize that and that the complexity that comes with that as well. For me, the question is, how do you articulate the presence of God through your life and through your vision and through your experience in everything that surrounds you? And maybe that's a better way to, to phrase it. But, you know, as Christians, if we can say, this is where I see the seasons and the movements of God and the impact it has had on me and maybe throughout the world in terms of human history. I think that can be helpful for those who are seeking, inquiring, wanting to know more, or are just plain skeptical or don't see any room. Yeah, you know, on a, on a regular Sunday, we're in the Bible Belt. On a regular Sunday in our county, uh, 80% of the people aren't in church, are not in church. So what have we done in bad influence? And yet, what is there the positive influence that happens anyway? Uh, you know, even with the 20% uh, that go to worship, uh, that uh, participate there, and, you know, then you take, Another 20% off of that are, are only 20% that are super dedicated of those who attend. Yeah. So I just, I am thoroughly uh, impressed with what God wants out of the church, not what the church has always done, but what God wants out of the church. And, um, and what he calls us to do is, is the best way of living. Mm. Um, There's nobody that's got it all together, um, atheist or Christian, agnostic, seeker, whatever you want to call them, and, and nobody's got it all together. Um, but I think as far as giving purpose to life, you know, it, it to love your neighbor, to, to um, love God, uh, to care for one another, to make a positive influence, to be a forgiver, 
in, in a world that needs that, to be a, a peacemaker in a world that is divisive, uh, fighting each other, cannot seem to get along. Uh, the church has a tremendous role that we could play better than we do. And I, if, if I have a hope for the church, it's that we would aspire to what God really wants us to do. Yeah. Um, well, let, let's talk about that. Let's talk about your ideas and, and your hope for the church, the church as an organization, the church as an institution, the church meaning a conglomerate of similar thinking individuals. What hopes do you have for it moving forward into this 21st century? Yeah, um, I want the church, the church, universal, to be more loving and caring and representative of the ways of Christ. Um, I really do hope for that. And in our country, I'm sure it's a, true most everywhere, but the one that I know the most, I wish we would be less political and, and less divisive. Um, and that spills over into the church and it breaks my heart. Um, I dream that we could show unity, perhaps not in that we all worship in the same building, but that we all uh, can love one another and encourage one another in the work of Christ um, in the world. I really do hope for that. As far as the, you know, the Cumberland Presbyterian Church, you know, I, I have dreams for it too, but only as part of God's kingdom, uh, not the kingdom. Uh, you know, I, I want us to grow and expand. I want us to experience uh, the church that has led me to Christian life and that has meant so much to me. I don't know that we have a um, corner on the market of Christianity, but I do believe we have something wonderful to offer. And, uh, and it has meant tremendous amount to me. I want us to rediscover our evangelical roots, um, our caring for souls, uh, to proclaim the gospel even when it's not convenient to do so. I don't mean to be the street preacher, but I mean to find ways to be evangelical in our in our. And I know I know that term has a lot of baggage to it, but it's been attached by the world, not not in the way that I understand that word, word as far as proclaiming the gospel. I think we need to do that and do it better and do it in more places. Uh, you know, I, I dream that money might not be a limitation for, for what we're trying to do uh, for or what could be done in the church. I would love a dream of that day that what we need to do, we have the resources to do. Um, and honestly, as this church looks for a minister in Marshall, and a great church, by the way, one that somebody would really benefit from being a part of, um, I hope that uh, more people will respond to the call to the ministry. Um, I hope that churches and families will help in this effort. I think a lot of churches have quit extending the call. Uh, don't know that, but I know that people aren't responding. It could just be a season where people are closing their ears to the call, but I don't believe God quits calling. And I, and I also feel like that, uh, that we need to, uh, as families, 
not discourage people that are thinking about going into the ministry. Um, I love uh, the new program that we have, the Kaleo uh, program that uh, helps people explore that call. Uh, I think there are people that are not sure, you know, am I just being called to be a good lay person or am I called to be a, uh, some sort of a minister, some sort? And, you know, I've said this along the way. Through the years, we've had a great need for associate pastors, but when you're so short that you don't have enough for for senior pastors or just the, the only pastor of a church, it's hard to get those people to go into uh, youth work, Christian education work, uh, mission work. It, it's Although we seem to be able to get missionaries a lot easier than we can get a, a youth pastor. But to me, I don't see a, a, a more important field of proclaiming the gospel than the teens that are, um, that are in our churches. Uh, to me, I always saw it that way. I never felt like I was a second-class pastor when I was an associate pastor. When I dealt with the youth or when I took the senior adults on a trip or when I dealt with Bible school, I felt like all of that was important. And, um, but we need pastors. We need uh, people that love the church and understand the needs of this proclamation being done in the world. And the churches need to understand their purpose better. Uh, I think we need to be better at, at uh, knowing why we exist. Uh, I'm not saying that people are ignorant or they've never thought of it. We just need to be purposeful in the fact that it needs to be reiterated over and over again. Here's why we're here's why we're here. We're not just here so that you can enjoy the music. We're here so that you can, you know, so that together uh, we can go about. Well, Rusty, while you're here, how can those listening continue to follow you on your faith journey? Well, they're certainly welcome to call me. They're certainly welcome to email me. Uh, is that what we're asking? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have a podcast or a, <laughs> or a um, something that out there that where somebody can follow me. But you can call me. I'm if if my la- if your last name is Rustin Haven, you're kin to me. So call some Rustin Haven somewhere <laughs> and you'll get over. They will um, eventually find you. Okay, you will find me in Marshall, Texas. I can guarantee you. Find me. All right. Um. Does Marshall have the Cumberland Presbyterian Church have a Facebook page or something that they can find a way to connect to you? We do. Not to be presumptive of our brothers and sisters in Missouri, but we're the Marshall Cumberland Presbyterian Church. Uh, That Marshall Cumberland Presbyterian is Facebook. Mm -hmm. You could get a hold of me that way. I have my own Facebook. Uh, um, I think it's Rusty Rustin Haven. So you can look me up that way. Uh, and I do have an email, rusty at cumberlandofmarshall.org. So uh, they could reach me in any of those ways. Uh, but, but love to talk to him. Obviously, you don't get to talk when you talk to me. So know that going in, you know. <laughs> I try not to talk too much, but I can't help it. I'm passionate about these things. So. Rusty, I want to thank you, one, for being an influence on my teenage years 
uh, coming up in a different church, but sharing those retreats and mission trips and uh, other events. You notice I didn't go into all that. Uh, well, some of the things that I know about you. So, uh, well, experienced with you, but uh, I, I knew that you matured. So I was so proud of you and what you're doing in our denomination. And I see in the missionary messenger and I see in the, this podcast and in other things that you do. I really do appreciate it. Well, I thank you for exercising what you're talking about earlier, exercising your grace for not sharing. <laughs> we can do that privately. <laughs> Rusty, thank you so much, really, for being a, a good influence on me with your patience and forbearance. And thank you for sharing yourself on this podcast today. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to today's podcast. Grab a friend and travel with me on the next journey down Cumberland Road. <laughs>